0: We are continuing a summer series that we've been doing all summer long called Summer School with Jesus, where we've been looking at some of the great teachings, some of the great commands that Jesus gives us throughout the gospel. And today, as you just heard in our gospel reading on salt and light, very familiar part of scripture. If you grew up in the church, you've probably heard this preached on many times before. What I'd like to do today is focus on three areas of teaching that Jesus covers in this text. The first is this. Jesus speaks to your individual Christian life. How has he called you to live out your faith in this world, a world that some people reject the gospel, a world where sometimes being a Christian brings with it persecution, brings with it attention that maybe you don't want yourself. How is God calling you to live as an individual? Second, though, he speaks about our community together as a Christian church, the Christian church at large, yes, but specifically those of us who call ourselves members, call ourselves part of the family of our Father Lutheran Church, 6335 South Holly Street. What does God have to say to us being the community of faith here? And then lastly, Jesus teaches on the community's response to the salt, to the light of the world. How it is very attractive to some, but it's very off-putting to others. How do we respond to that? What does God have to say to us? What is he teaching us? So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles. We're looking at Matthew chapter 5. Pull out your bulletin that you saw. Let's begin first with our individual life. You know, what does God have to say to us as Christians? How do we live this Christian life, this Christian walk that we're on here in America, 2023? Well, look at verse 13. Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, Jesus is obviously using some hyperbole here. He's exaggerating, and I think the reason is this. He could just come out and say, Hey, Christian, you should be more ethical. You should have the highest morals. You should always tell the truth. You should be this kind of person that is. Uh, stands above and beyond in society. But he doesn't say that, I think, because he wants us to think a little bit more about this. You know, he he uses this analogy of salt losing its saltiness, and that's obviously impossible. How can salt lose its saltiness? It's, by the way, chemistry lesson for all of you who are a little uh, dusty on this. Uh, Sodium chloride, if you remove the chloride, if you remove the sodium, it's no longer salt. And what he's saying is essentially, look, If you try to remove the saltiness, the very nature of salt, you can't call it salt anymore. It it ceases to be salt, and it's this worthless element. Well, the practical application, of course, for us here today, spiritually speaking, as Christians, if we deny the very nature of our Christian faith, If we refuse to live out the teachings that Jesus is teaching, that he gives us the clue, he gives us the insight on how to be a Christian. If we reject that, if we push that aside, he's essentially saying very harshly, I might add, you are worthless to him. That you're not good for anything. That you no more than you can remove the saltiness from salt, you cannot remove the very entity, the very uh, identity of being a Christian and call yourself a Christian. So this is a tough teaching, admittedly. But Jesus then goes on, and I think, again, the reason he uses this kind of analogy is so that we would think a little bit more deeply this morning on what it means. So let's think about what properties, what purposes does salt have in the world? Well, first of all, uh, I don't know how you all feel about McDonald's fries. I love McDonald's fries, and the reason I love McDonald's fries is because of the salt that is on there. Salt adds flavor to food, so that's the first thing. Salt makes things taste better. Second of all, salt, as you know, uh, has some healing properties in today's world. Saline solution, iodine, these are salt-based things that help clean out wounds. In the ancient days, salt was actually used on a wound because the salt would bring out the liquid in the wound, and with the liquid, any bacteria, anything that was going to cause your body harm, salt has been used for centuries as a healing property. But then lastly, we know that salt is a preservative. I mean, today, you could find a bag of Cheetos from 1982, open up that bad boy, take a bite, and it would taste just like a Cheeto made in 2023. Why? Because we pack it full of salt and preservatives. And the same thing is true in the ancient world. They would take salt and wrap it around the meat because the organisms, it would actually stop the organisms, the bacteria, from destroying the meat, from it going bad in a world without modern refrigeration. So salt helps things taste better. Salt is... A, a healer, and salt's a preservative. So now let's apply that to our spiritual lives. What is Jesus trying to get at here? Well, let's talk about salt as tasting better. That means you are the salt of the earth. That means that your job, one of the primary functions that God has put you on this planet for, is to make it a better place. We are to add to human flourishing. This is a role that Christians can play. So let's just take one example. Those of you who work every day. That means that you are to be the most honest employee, to refuse to engage in the office gossip, to speak well of your boss. If you're an employer, to treat your employees with the utmost respect. People should know that you are different and that there's something inside of you that is different than other people who don't have that same light of Jesus in their heart, that ha- don't have that same faith. Great example of this, uh, one of my favorite leadership authors is a guy named John Maxwell. He writes uh, to Christian leaders all over the world, and he tells a story in one of his devotion books about a friend of his who had risen to, like, the CFO of a firm in Hong Kong. He was Chinese. Uh, he happened to be a Christian in a nation of, like, 2 3% Christianity. This particular man was a Christian, became the CFO of a company, And he gets brought into a very high-level board meeting one day where it had been discovered that there were some accountants in this firm who were stealing money. They were taking three cents here out of a transaction, five cents out of a transaction, one cent out of a transaction. They were so small in number that nobody saw it. The auditors didn't catch what was happening, and they had stolen over the course of several years like $300,000, $400,000 dollars. The problem was they didn't know who it was that was stealing the money. They had no way of tracking who it was in the company who was stealing. So the CEO fired the entire accounting department, just wiped them out, said, you're all gone. But that presented a problem, of course, because without accountants, you have no idea how and where the money's coming from and how it's gonna work. So they brought everybody together and the CEO said to the CFO, who was a Christian, he said, how many Christian accountants do you know? And this man said, Well, I I know a few. And he said, well, I happen to know, based on the way you operate within this company, that if Christians have the same ethics and the same morals and can be trusted as much as I trust you, that I want Christians to be in this position. So go out and find as many Christian accountants as you can. Bring them in. This is your sole purpose for the next week or so. So this man went out and he found as many Christian accountants as he could and they replaced the ones who were fired. And then this caught on within Hong Kong business. And before you know it, CEOs, CFOs were looking for Christian accountants because they were known to have a high ethical standard. They were known to be more honest than other people. You see, that is what Jesus is talking about, being the salt of the earth. Making this world a better place, helping people when you see them and they're down and out, it is giving of yourself sac- sacrificially, yes, but it's helping this world thrive and function in a better way than when we found it. Salt of the earth. Okay, so that's tasting better. What do we mean by healing? Well, do you know anybody who's sick? you know anybody who's lonely? Do you know anybody who's depressed, who's anxious? You know, we have a ministry in our congregation. Uh, the pastors go out and we try to visit all of our homebound people at least once a month. Or when somebody gets sick and they're in the hospital, we try to go and visit them and care for them, shepherd them, bring them communion. But we have so many people that three of us, we can't keep up with all the folks who are uh, homebound, who are sick. And so we have a care team And the care team will pick up the phone and they'll call you if they find out that you are sick. And and maybe some of you have received a call from one of our care team members. But we also have folks who, because they're homebound, because they're shut in, they're lonely. And this just happened on Thursday. I went to go visit a couple who are homebound, brought them communion, and you know what they said to me? They said, you know, we are so grateful for another couple here at our church who came after church last Sunday. And they came and they sat with us and we talked and we hung out. And they brought joy into their lonely lives. You see, that, my friends, is being the salt of the earth. We're bringing the light of Christ. We're bringing the love of Christ into the lonely. It's sitting with a depressed person. It's sitting with a sick person. It's bringing a meal to a neighbor who you find out something happens to them. Think think of all the ways which you can bring healing into this world to be the salt of the earth. And then preservative. What do we mean by that? how many relationships do you know that are just blown up marriages think of toxic workplace environment think of your friends at school you know i have a teenage daughter i hear all the time about the toxicity of relationships things that happen on social media the way we talk to each other the things that that cause disruption in relationship you know as a christian you are called to be the salt of the earth you are called to not write that nasty email to not respond on social media in a way that attacks another person and brings them down. You're called to be the neighbor who, even though the dog is barking next door a million times, whose neighbor is not cutting their grass, you're called to not be the one who writes the nasty letter, who not knocks on the door to criticize, but actually somehow figure out a way to help them, to put your needs second so that your neighbor's needs could be elevated. This is what Jesus is talking about, to be a preservative, to be a healer, To make this world a better place. And we, you, are called to be the salt of the earth. That's the first thing. Jesus, or I'm sorry, the Apostle Peter is speaking about this in our epistle reading. He writes, As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do. It's a call to holiness. So That's our individual life. What is Jesus talking about, corporately speaking? Uh, Our life together as members of a family of faith here at our Father Lutheran Church, whether you're here in the building today, whether you're watching from home, Jesus speaks to that. Let's jump up to verse 14. He says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So again, it would have been easy for Jesus to say, hey, look, church, uh, you should be together, you should hang out, you should be active in worship, you should be regular in worship, you should participate in the life of the church, the healing ministry that goes on. He doesn't say that because he wants us to think a little bit more deeply about it. And what do we know about cities? Well, a city on a hill in the ancient days had some advantages. Number one, it was easier to defend itself. There's only one way into the city on a hill there's only one way out. This is a pretty obvious point, so, so forgive me for using something obvious here, but cities are made up of more than one person. A city is a network of relationships. A little hard for us to grasp that, I think, in a big city like Denver, but do you understand how much we rely on other people in the city for us to function and for the city to function well? You know, imagine if every person from Excel Energies this weekend just said, "Ah, oh, I don't feel like going to work today and monitoring the the electrical grid, I'm just gonna go up to the mountains and, you know, go fishing. How long would we last in this? We can't even go to church for 45 minutes when the AC goes down. We're like, oh my gosh. Every Denver water employee refuses to go to work this weekend. You know how smelly and stinky the city would be, let alone the lack of clean drinking water that we would have if the police quit showing up, if the workers at the hospital, if the workers who stock the grocery shelves on the store, think of all the different network of relationships, the people that we depend on, whether we think about it or not, to help this city run smoothly and efficiently, our government workers. If everybody just decided to not show up, the city would be a mess, and Jesus is saying, look, same thing with the church. We need you to be here. Not because you're earning good works, not because you know, you're, you're helping yourself get a good mark in God's eyes, but because the church needs you. And it means we shouldn't just show up once a month when it's convenient. And it means we shouldn't just think everybody else should be the ones who volunteer for the coffee and go on the mission trips and, and do all the things. That's for other people. No, that's for you as well because we're a family. Because we're the city of God. We're a city on a hill. God has called us to be together, to participate in the life of the church of God here on earth. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Have you ever seen a city on a hill at night? You know, you're driving in the mountains and all of a sudden you come up on Breckenridge or Vale. You can see that city for miles. In the ancient world, the same thing was true. This was essentially the equivalent of a GPS system for the ancient world when you're traveling at night. And the city was put up on a hill because when you lit the torches around the walls and the lights emanating from the houses within the city, you could see it for miles. And they didn't have GPS. You're walking down the road. It's late at night. You want to get to the house. You go, oh, look, finally, there's the city. It's a bright light shining in the darkness. And this is what Jesus is teaching us today. See, the church does not just exist that we can come and feel good about ourselves and get some good things. No, the church exists that we could shine the light of Jesus out into the darkness and think about the darkness in our world today. Just go home and watch the news tonight, five o'clock p.m., watch the news, you'll see all the darkness you can stomach for a week. This world is so dark. But that's why God's called us here, isn't it? To be the light of the world, to give hope to people where there is no hope. And let me just give you some practical examples of how we do this at Our Father Lutheran Church. I wanna introduce you to a man named Portofino. 75 years old, he lives in Comiagüela, Honduras, and he came to an eyeglass clinic that some of our folks here from our father put on a couple weeks ago. 75 years old, his eyesight was so bad he literally has never seen his grandchildren. Their faces were fuzzy to him. And his daughter heard about the eyeglass clinic, uh, takes a leap of faith, comes, makes a long trip, brings her 75 year old father to the eyeglass clinic. He puts on a plus 12 prescription. These are Coke bottle glasses. Puts them on, 75 years old, jumps out of his seat. I thought he got bit by a snake. And he immediately starts praising God. Alabanza el Señor, Alabanza el Señor. And he looks at all the workers who are here. He goes, You are angels. You are sent by God because I can see. He looks at his daughter, who he hasn't seen in 20 years. He goes, My sweet, I can see you. She's bawling. We're bawling. It was an amazing thing. Let me introduce you to Portofino. Watch this. for 20 minutes he just pointed I can see that I can see you, you're over there I can see you and he was praising God and he was thanking him you see that is shining a light in the darkness it's bringing the light of just the brokenness of our bodies, and it's fixing something that's broken. Last year, 2022, our congregation, if you didn't know this, we tithe 10% of our operating budget. A little bit more than it actually, because some of you uh, give specifically to our mission fund, to our benevolence fund. $222,000 went out the door to this place, to charities and missions and churches all over the world. $222,000. You can buy a house, believe it or not, in Alabama for $222,000. I know it doesn't go far here, but that is a ton of money. I just walked out out this church. We have 12 missional communities that operate throughout the city. This is just a tenth of some of the work that our missional communities have done together. 50 crisis pregnancy kits delivered to Alternatives Pregnancy Denver. A lot of work with low-income seniors. There's a nursing home and assisted living place that one of our MCs have adopted. They've gone several times to visit that. 55 boxes collected for Operation Christmas Child, 25 Thanksgiving baskets, collected for Meals on Wheels, 40 Christmas cards written, six families adopted for Christmas, 750 pounds of food collected, monthly furniture delivery for Love, Inc. I'm not done. Hundreds of diapers collected for Love, Inc. Four area senior yards cleaned up this spring, 50 refugee welcome baskets collected. That's just, there's roughly 250 people who are involved in our 12 MCs. This is a tenth of the work that they have done, shining a bright light in the darkness of people who are far from Jesus, people who are so hurting, are so lost. See, this is what we do together, family of faith here at Our Father Lutheran Church. We shine brightly in the darkness. But Jesus warns us not everybody's going to be attracted to that light. There are people in this world because light, yes, uh, helps you see in the dark, but light also exposes the dark spots of our hearts. When the light is shined, some people react strongly against it. They don't want the things in their heart that they're holding on to to be exposed, and so they react harshly against Christians. Let's look at verse 11. Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Notice what he says, not if, but when people treat you poorly for the sake of Jesus Christ. There's two things I think we need to talk about here. First of all, uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but here's just a reminder. Let's make sure, Christians, that we are being persecuted, we're being reviled against for the right reasons, for the right things. Jesus says, be persecuted for the, when they say false things about me. You, know, you probably know Christians. Maybe you could be accused of being guilty of this every once in a while. Christians who walk around and all they do is point the finger of judgment. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. And then people react strongly against that, don't they? And they say, man, that Christian is judgmental. You get shunned on social media. You get shunned by your neighbors. And you come back and you say, oh, man, I'm getting persecuted for Jesus' sake. No, you're not. You're getting persecuted because you're being a jerk. And all you're doing is pointing out the wrong things that people are doing. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Yes, we live for truth. Yes, we expose the darkness. But Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted falsely on my account. So let's make sure, Christians, family of God, here at our Father, that we are collectively pointing people to Jesus. We're shining the light in the darkness for Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name. And second of all, lastly here as we close, how do we respond to all this? Because it is difficult, admittedly. You know, I live in a little bubble where I get to come to a church and I work only with Christians. That's just a neat thing that I get to do as a pastor. You're out in the real world. And you work in companies and you live with neighbors and you have people that you know every day who are far from Jesus. And when you are out there doing the hard work of being the salt of the earth and shining the light in the darkness, people are going to react differently than I think Pastor Nate would react to me if I was the salt of earth in this place, right? So what do you do? How do you respond to that? Well, the Apostle Peter, again, let's go back to our epistle reading. He says this, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That fear, it's more like awe or wonder of what God has done. A little bit of fear of like, yeah, God could wipe me out in an instant, and God could. He could snap his fingers, you'd be gone. So we should have a little holy fear for a God who is that powerful. But then he continues, and he ends with this. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold... Remember, you were ransomed. Those of you who are Christians in the room today, those who have been baptized into Jesus' name, he saved you. He plucked you from danger. He put out the fire of your heart. He saved you. He rescued you. Not with money. He didn't pay, you know, he didn't swipe a credit card. He didn't take out his 401k to save you. Peter says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. When you're out in the world, being salt, being light, the key is not to dig down deep inside your heart. The key is to look to the one who gave everything away so that you could have an eternal life with him. So that when you're scared, when you're talking to a coworker, you're not sure how they're going to react about you being a Christian. You say, Jesus, I, I don't like this. I'm afraid. I think this is awkward. But Jesus, you say that you're going to be with me. You died for me. Help me die to self so that I can shine the light to my coworker. When you're not sure if you want to go on a mission trip because, you know, the third world is dangerous. We do mission trips to Yasleta, in El Paso. We do mission trips to Honduras. I'm hoping that we're going to start doing mission trips into Ethiopia and Africa. It is a dangerous place. Something could happen to you physically. And if you're scared and you don't want to go and you don't want to get the time, you say, Jesus, I don't like this. I think this is uncomfortable. I don't want to put myself in that situation. But Jesus, you died for me. Help me die to self so that I can shine the light of your love into this dark and lonely world. And just something simple. Look, you go home today, and you want to sit on your couch. And you want to, is golf still going, Nate? I don't even know. I, you're the golf guy. Yeah, okay. You want to go watch some golf with Pastor Nate? That'd be fun. We should do that sometime but then you remember that your lonely neighbor across the street has nobody to watch golf with, and yes, it would be awkward because you don't know them very well, and yes, it's gonna take some of your time, some of your comfort, some of your pleasure that you get from spending that time with yourself, and you say, Jesus, I don't like this. (laughs) I don't wanna do this, Jesus, but you died for me, so would you help me die to self so that I can go be the salt of the earth, I can be the light of Christ to my neighbor who needs that comfort, that hope, that love so badly. As we together look to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, may we go out into this world and shine brightly, not for our own sake, but what does Jesus say? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And it's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.